So now we're living in a van and trying to do that van life, mm. going around the nation to just still produce content, still show that, hey, house hacking is a thing. And thanks to my real estate income, cash flow, whatever it might be, it's funding our lifestyle that we want. You're listening to the Taylor Coop Podcast. Join me as we do a deep dive into my passions and learning lessons in entrepreneurship, real estate, business, sports, art, and so much more. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Taylor Coop Podcast. This is the show where I invite experts and really good friends of mine to learn more about them and also just inspire others to uh, have that curiosity to learn. Because, I mean, when I do bring people on, it is the select few that I truly believe are experts within their fields. And for this guest, I've had the pleasure of being friends and going on several different real estate journeys with him, more so alongside him as we've been growing both within our career and seeing his growth has been truly impactful from living in San Diego to now being a realtor that's focused on helping investors with the FI team by EXP Realty, who helps other investors buy and house hack over in the Denver area. Please give a warm welcome to Ian Jimeno. Thank you so much, man. What a nice introduction. I know the introduction that you didn't give me. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would do well off the fly. So I truly appreciate it, man. Uh, thank you for even having me on this podcast. Uh, I'm humbled. Ah, it's a, and it's an honor, you know, and you know, I didn't mean to call you out on that either with uh, with you signing up on my Calendly link, but <laughs> it's it's totally fine too. But and and also that wasn't on the fly. How do you know I didn't write that either? Oh well, you did a very good job uh, making it look like it was improv. Oh, because <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> but they, naturally, though, I mean, you know, it. I am still like very impressed in just the fact that how you got your start first in, I feel like I'm just giving you your intro right now. And, <laughs> and I'm just going to talk about you this entire podcast yeah. <laughs> where you got into geology and then you made the jump and being a realtor moved over to, to Denver. Uh, but I think there's a, a lot of things that I wanted to unpack, especially with that first property in San Diego that you got. Yeah. And with, with that property in San Diego, just what that experience was like, and if it has met your expectations or exceeded your expectations. Yeah. In various different ways, it's a little bit of both, but we can get onto that topic uh, after I set some context. So um, born and raised over in San Diego. Um, I mean, I pretty much know San Diego pretty well inside and out. Um, eventually, my wife and I got married and when we were 29 back in 2019, and we went to this webinar or no, it was actually a seminar. It was before COVID COVID. And uh, this realtor was saying that like, Hey, you're not going to be cash flowing on uh, a San Diego property, but you should really look into buying a place. I'm like, you're saying there's no cash flow. Why should I even buy? He's like, well, there's equity, there's appreciation, there's tax benefits. It's not just cash flow. And over time rents increase. So those rents for the first three or four years are going to be a bummer but eventually you're going to exceed what the mortgage costs and the expenses are for the home. So interesting. Tell me more. Eventually, long story short, uh, he found us an off-market deal. Um, it was a duplex over in the Normal Heights, North Park area. Great location. Uh, for those people that don't know, it's very walkable, a lot of restaurants, bars, things like that. Almost like a downtown hipster kind of area. 
Um, we found a lot of renters that were potential for this place. It's a duplex, it's a three bed, two bath and a studio. So what me and my wife did, Kat, um, shout, we, out, Kat. shout out Kat, dude, I, this, none of this would have happened if it weren't for her. So uh, big shout out to her. We stayed in the three bed, two bath and rented out one of the bedrooms and the bathroom to have it separately for that renter. And we charged about $1,200 a month for that specific renter. And we charged about sixteen hundred for the studio rental, so we were all all in, getting about twenty eight hundred, but the mortgage was about fifty four hundred per month, so it was gnarly at that time. Ooh. And um, you know, we were still coming out of pocket twenty six hundred, and that's just the mortgage. Then you go into like utility bills, you go into all these other expenses, groceries, auto payments, whatever it might be, right? And at the time, it was really tough because a lot of our friends were still living at home, still renting still doing things. And none of none of our friends were buying homes. It was just us. We were the first ones. And so after a while, we were like, what the hell are we doing? You know, mm. um, especially knowing that we were not paying as much as renters, you know, and we could just call someone up if something happened and they would fix it for us. We don't have to worry about that as a renter. Right. So, um, I will skip everything in between, but we eventually moved to Denver in 2020. Uh, we rented out both the three bed, two bath and the studio to Navy tenants, which I am fully for these days, uh, especially in San Diego, where there's a whole bunch of Navy tenants. Yes. Um, and I get to know their commanding officer. Uh, I get to know like what it's like uh, with a dynamic. And I know that if they're not on time, I get to report them to their commanding officer. And it feels like there's that fail safe. Uh, I don't want to be a rat, but. <laughs> Snitches but get stitches. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Thanks government, you know? Um, so yeah, long. Um, I keep saying long story short and I keep making it long, but um, nowadays, the mortgage now is about $4,600 per month. We refinanced uh, to now a 3.75% interest rate back in 2021. And rent is now about 5,300. And we just put in a new tenant about to sign on to their lease and move in there. Uh, $100 increase. So we should be getting about 5,400, about $900 in cash flow. Well, I'd say about $600 in cash flow after everything, including solar panel fees, gardening, and all that good stuff. So the cash flow is increasing over time, you know? So I'm really excited for it. And that's specifically for the San Diego property. Because I mean, you, when you moved to Denver, then you had your own set of properties over there. But specifically for the San Diego property, it took a while to cash flow. Now, I guess looking back on it too, because the one of the thoughts that come up into my head is, you know, I mean, kind of just what you were experiencing is, hey, even if I did house hack and did get renters, I'm still tied to this mortgage that I'm not even sure if I can pay it. And then if I lose my job, I don't even know how I'm going to pay that off still. 100%. Now, after going through what you've gone through and being in, in this cash flowing position, would you do it again? Mm. Yeah. And there's some variables in there to, um, I guess, set the scene here for everyone listening. Um, we've gone through foundation issues, which was $20,000. We recently had a leak because it's a flat roof home and water was coming in. It was during that tropical storm that happened coming up from Mexico, hurricane that turned into a tropical storm in San Diego. There was a leak in the roof had to get a whole new roof and that was another Ooh. 20 grand. So over the course of four years, we've had to pay so much out of pocket, right? And that's 40 grand just on those two things. 
right? And sure, rents increase, but I mean, that is mitigated and more thanks to these big ticket items. Along with that, we have hella uh, appreciation. I mean, over the course from 2019 to now, we have now about $500,000 in equity on the place. The thing is, is that we don't have a way to easily pull that money out, mainly because I'm a realtor now. And so it's hard with the 1099 income. And um, we just have to now watch it until you know, I'm able to pull a HELOC on the property. So there's some ways that we can uh, make it work. And to answer your question fully, I still think it's going to be a great investment. Let's say five years from now, 10 years from now, because everyone I still tell like, Hey, yeah, I got a duplex in San Diego and North park. They're like, dude, don't nice. ever let that go. And so I I've never uh, had any regrets except for those big ticket items. It's just a long-term play as with any real estate game. Mm. And then is that... Cause, cause that's honestly like one of my fears of terms of just like getting a house first off and I guess in as backwards as it sounds, that's also what made me want to go into commercial real estate and just skip the whole single family just cause I didn't want to have the personal responsibility myself. But, um, it, it sounds like it still was worth it primarily for the appreciation and still just the strong market fundamentals that San Diego has yes. now switching over to Denver then. And, and now you like specialize in helping people house hack. What are some of the key differences? Because I mean, I guess there has been some people that have moved from California to Denver. I mean, it's a hot place now. I'm curious mm-hmm. if you can highlight some of those differences and then just dive into just the strategy of house hacking and what works out there. Oh yeah, totally. So the only way you can really house hack in San Diego, and I didn't even know that that was the term uh, where like you're renting out rooms or you're renting out the separate, uh, you know, the duplex or the ADU, whatever the other unit is. I didn't even know it was called house hacking. Neither did my realtor. He was just like, hey, just maintain your college lifestyle going into this next place. Right. And so the only real way to make house hacking work in San Diego is through renting out rooms or renting out the other unit or renting out an ADU or a garage. Right. I moved over to Denver and Kat and I were like, oh my gosh, like we don't know anything about the neighborhoods. We don't know anything about the house layouts. Uh, We don't know what the situation is with ADUs. And so we wanted to buy more properties and immediately buy something in Denver. And my parents were already there and we were just having a hard time because we couldn't pull the trigger. We just don't know the areas. Right. And my parents were like, well, okay, okay. Pump the brakes here. Why don't you just stay with us in the basement and you could take your time with that? I was like, you guys got basements? Oh my God. You know, like I pictured basements like a typical movie scene, right? You're like some loser in mom's basement. You know what I mean? But like really scary. Exactly. Right. Like a horror movie. Totally. And um, I found out that they're decked out. Like some of these houses really deck out their basements with like movie theater rooms or gymnastics rooms, something for the kids, carpets, the walls, all that good stuff. It looks amazing, right? So house hacking definitely changed when I moved over to here, especially with a foundation of number one, the FI team, the financial independence team, which I'm on now with Craig Curlop, who wrote the book, The House Hacking Strategy. Number two, Bigger Pockets is here. The headquarters is here. And then number three, there's a huge financial independence community here with like Mr. Money Mustache and everyone else that's trying to reach financial independence and financial freedom. So that completely changed when I came over to Denver, just knowing that it is so much easier to do it here. And that's how I got into the game of like, hey, why don't I just help other people do this and get paid doing it? So I feel like um, I know there's this Japanese word for it, but it's like finding your passion 
Um, you get paid to do it and it helps the world. So Ikigai. I found Ikigai. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it felt really good just knowing that there's a place for all three of those things to meld and I can fit right in there. Yeah. And, and yeah, this, this is going to be such a dumb statement, but <laughs> I mean, considering that there's so many people that have a lot of the same mission as you did. I mean, like you have the five team. I mean, bigger pockets is there. I mean, Brandon Turner was there. I mean, you have all these different real estate heads that are in there going and trying to implement the same strategy. Have you seen a lot of just competition? And how do you really separate yourself from that competition if you were to try and house hack? And even I guess even if you're vetting a, a realtor too, like like yourself, like what makes them choose you over? Oh, that's this is a tough question. What makes that's them a really good you? question. No, yeah, I'm glad you're asking this, man, because. I, um, because in my brain, I'm like, oh yeah, totally. Like, why don't I just become a real estate agent and house hack along the way and show people that this is a thing. And so, um, I realized that's much easier said than done, uh, especially with a guy coming from San Diego and I moved here in 2020 and during COVID it's really hard to make friends during that time. You know, can't go out to restaurants, bars, coffee shops, whatever it might be. So it was really hard for me to make friends during that time and just show that house hacking is a thing. Um, I did a number of things and you know, this too, Taylor, where, uh, I started big locals podcast. I found a way to get, um, like local businesses to come onto the podcast and get free advertising and free marketing through hearing their story. And then I posted on social media and that led to me developing a presence on social media, like Instagram and also on YouTube. I found the power through that. I was like, huh, this is big locals podcast thing going through social media and having this public facing content creation platform, I feel like I could do this with being a real estate agent. And so about a year and a half ago, almost two years now, I've just been posting pretty consistently. It ranges from like five times a week to three times a week, um, just putting up short form content. Um, and also on YouTube, just introducing people to the towns of Denver and what it's like eating here in Denver, the four seasons, what kind of car you need to have and things like that. So those people that want to move from California over to Denver, they understand what it's like and they have that connection with me already. So I've helped out a number of people through YouTube, help guide them from that Los Angeles or Southern California living over to Denver because they, they're searching things on YouTube like, hey, what is it like going from SoCal to Denver? Or what's it like living in Denver? They see my face, they hear my story, and they make that connection automatically. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how I set myself apart as a real estate agent. It's like, there's a lot of real estate agents here that have their sphere here. They know the people that they grew up with and they haven't moved. Sure, they might have that advantage, but I have the advantage of knowing that other people are moving here. And I came in as completely new. So people outside of the state can connect with me and understand what it's like being an outsider coming into Denver. Would you say that's majority of your clients right now then are people that have moved out of states? And um, yeah, I, yeah. Are, are those majority of your clients right now? Yeah, and it's about 50-50 right now, 50 /50, which, is, okay. which is still a pretty good amount on the side of outside of the state you know, like having that relocation over to Denver because the majority of people that are looking to be financially independent or house hacking and things like that, they're already here in Denver. And right. so looking through uh, bigger pockets, uh, hitting up Craig Curlop, and then he distributes these leads to the team. That's where I come in and that's where that, um, that connection happens. Now I have to ask, have you closed any deals with anybody that's come on to Big Locals Podcast? 
<laughs> I'm currently working with one right now. So yeah, it, yeah stoked on it. <laughs> Heck yeah. Okay. And reason why we're laughing is because we actually had an offline conversation where I used Big Locals Podcast as, because like I want to help other people start their own podcast too. And Big Locals Podcast is a way to like network and, you know, get in front of other community people and just having that market. Like it's exactly what Ian said. Um, and so uh, without Ian knowing, I was just used his as an example of <laughs> how he's like helping out other clients. And, you know, the fact that it's, it's, it's working like helps out. Yeah. And I'm sure it's like, once that domino effect happens, then it's going to start to expand and even more so just within that podcast network. And yeah. also too, I think there's also some value in hearing it from you. Like not like, yeah, of course, like there's so many different podcasts out there, but the fact that they're having this content specifically from you and they can absorb it from uh, a visual standpoint, an audio standpoint, they're starting to gain familiarity and trust uh, without, you know, actually, actually talking to you. Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, I, I think that's the blessing and curse of COVID and 2020 where, Going all virtual was not a thing until COVID happened. And now work and working remote is now becoming a thing like in my lifestyle, you know, producing content and even with my wife's style, uh, lifestyle where she's a software engineer and she can work remote. And maybe this is something we could talk about later too, Taylor, but we just bought a van too. So now we're living in a van and trying to do that van life mm. going around the nation to just still produce content, still show that, hey, house hacking is a thing. And thanks to my real estate income, cash flow, whatever it might be, it's funding our lifestyle that we want. So I feel like that's a story in itself. Well, let's let's talk about that now. Cause and and also let's let's provide some context to you and Kat too jumping on this journey. Cause I, and I don't think this is actually a conversation that we've had either, is what was that like have have both of you always been on board in in, in real estate investing or mm -hmm. was it i need to convince this person yeah. and you know put put her on a, her own little drip campaign so i can <laughs> totally. wow that that sounded way more <laughs> that sounded way more um inappropriate than than intended uh, <laughs> yeah for but, those not aware like that drip campaign is just means like okay like an email like a text every once in a while you're it's almost like a drippy faucet ooh, i know what you mean oh <laughs> no that's exactly that nope i'm leaning into it really <laughs> doubling down on that joke um <laughs> but yeah no so i was it an easy transition for y'all to, to jump yeah. in and what were some of the obstacles or was it just smooth sailing from there yeah no it was um i think the main thing was is that um, by the time we started house hacking, Kat and I were already tired of the nine to five, 50 to 60 hours a week lifestyle for the next 40 years of our lives. We we're like, there's no way in hell I'm, I'm going to keep doing this, you know? So we searched ways of how to retire at 40 years old. And one of the ways that a lot of people were saying is, Hey, go invest in real estate. Hey, if you start now when you're 30, over the course of 10 years, you will have that appreciate over time and you can bank on that, right? And so um, it was an easy conversation for both of us. We just both knew that the end goal wasn't exactly real estate. The end goal was retiring as soon as possible. Mm. There's not much of a fruitful life um, dedicating 40, 50, 60 hours a week 
to a corporation that can lay you off whenever they decide to, even if they say that you are family. And I say that because that is exactly what happened to Kat just this year in June of 2023. She just went with a new, uh, or like, uh, she started working with a new company called Measurable. Sorry, outing them right now, but um, oh, take that. <laughs> send this to them. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> they, I mean, they constantly said, "Hey, we're family here. We're fully transparent." Blah blah blah, and they were Jeez. planning on going public, and um, they laid her off in June, like over the Dang. course of six months, like ha- having her there, and she, like, they still use her products that she developed while she was at that job, which you know she's proud of. But to me, I'm like, who the F are they to use their stuff and then layer off? You know what I mean? And so long story short, I just didn't want to have that misaligned loyalty to something that can let us go as soon as possible when I think the best thing is just to bank on ourselves. So mm-hmm. that was the plan. And I felt like that was a lot more um, of a convincing story to tell ourselves when we can retire as soon as possible and not have to rely on that income coming from somewhere else other than us. Mm, got it. Got it. And so that's what kicked off the journey then. And now fast forward to this van, Yep. It, it, which now I have a load of questions, but let's, <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, the first thing that I'm thinking of is like, you just moved to Denver pretty recently. And how are you going to keep up with all the clientele uh, and still have that local presence while living in a van? And where are you yeah. even going to go? And is it going to look like uh, the Scooby-Doo's van, the Mystery Inc.? Yeah. So many questions are coming up <laughs> inside my head, but you know, totally. I guess from the basics then. So mm-hmm. you and Kat moving in a van, what's the plan? Yeah, we're moving in a van. Um, we, uh, I, I think I told you this too, Taylor. I think we were at that coffee shop where I told you that we wanted to have a child sometime in the near future, like within the oh, next one or two years. You know, so excited. Yeah, I I can't wait to be a dad, dude. Like I'm I'm excited for it. You know, all these dad jokes got to go somewhere. You know, so um, the, the dad jokes and the different methods of how you can fart. <laughs> one of the. I don't know. Is this is this podcast even get a flag for all our inappropriate <laughs> comments here? Uh, so because he had a great spinning spinning fart where he, we uh, there's so much context that needs to be brought up just right. for that, <laughs> just for that. But anyways, I'm excited for you to 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 become a dad and for you you and Cat to be parents. Like yeah. I I'm so stoked for y'all. Thanks, man. And yeah, so we knew like in the near future, we wanted to become parents. And we know also that when we become parents, we kind of have to have roots down or at least be a little bit more comfortable, right? Have that family Mm -hmm. lifestyle. So we kind of wanted to dedicate 2024 towards the van life. We wanted to still see our friends. There's been a lot of people and a lot of family, friends, family, whoever it might be that have spread across the nation, um, North Carolina, Virginia, Seattle, back, I mean, still in San Diego, where we miss them and we wanted to hang out with them and um, spend a lot of time with not just me and Kat, like alone camping and things like that, but also see our friends and uh, see how they're doing and catch up. Along with that too, like I think that'd be great content too. Like letting people know that, hey, I'm a realtor, I'm an investor. And thanks to my real estate and investment portfolio, I'm able to live live this lifestyle, right? And so I know a lot of people ask me like, how are you going to make money as a realtor when you're outside of Colorado? 
It's like, that's a valid point. And I actually had that ingrained in my head that like, no, there, there's there's no way that I can make money on this, especially when I have to do showings, when I have to do things that have to be there in person, right? So um, I was talking to a bunch of agents on my team about this qualm, about this quandary. And um, Dan, Dan Ginther, big, big shout out. I told him about it and I was like, dude, I don't know how, how I'm going to make some money while I'm on the road. I think I'm just going to have to rely on Kat here uh, for that regular W-2 income. And he's like, dude, hold on, hold on, hold on. What's your story like right now? Like, tell it to me in person. Like, well, I'm going to be living in a van. Like, how are you able to live in this van? Like, well, it's mainly because Kat has a remote job and I get to live off of my cash flow. that's through real estate. So I'm able to do that. And he's like, dude, that's your story. People want to live the life that you're living right now. Why are you not using that to your advantage as a story that you can sell? People don't want to be sold on like, hey, buy a house and house hack. They want to be sold on the vacation. It's almost like when you're a travel agent, you don't want to sell the process. Hey, buy these tickets, go to this hotel, buy these drinks, stay at this restaurant. No, you're selling the beach. You're selling beers and a laid back chair with the sun on your face right? So he said, have that as your story. Be Mm. that guy that's selling the vacation. So if I'm telling them, hey, I'm in a van, I'm living the life I want, and it's all thanks to real estate, you should house hack because that's how I started. And so from there, until proven wrong, I will continue down down that path. I love that. I love that. And especially because you're leaning into your own story. And I really like how you said where you're really selling the vision more so. I didn't even think about that. You're selling the vision and and the dream versus look how great this house looks, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, it's and it also brings me back too, because I mean that's where I was struggling with with my love for real estate. I was like, I'm looking at these buildings. Do I really love these buildings and do I like really want to hug it and just, you know, <laughs> kiss it and no, but it, it provides like a, a lifestyle to it. And so it, like, I, I see the vision and I'm excited for y'all to go on that next path then. And when, so you guys bought the van, then when is the next step to eventually actually leaving and then driving over to Sacramento to come see me? Hey, you know it, dude. Oh yeah. There's no way I, I skip out the Bay area in general. Um, also see you dude. Um, yeah, that will be early January. We're thinking the first week of January. My birthday is January 2nd. Cats is the fourth. I'm two days older than her. So I have seniority. So we'll probably nice. jet around <laughs> the first week of January. Um, I'm just closing on a couple of deals before then. So, uh, we also got to like set up cushions, making sure we know how the van operates too, as far as maintenance goes, if anything goes wrong, um, we'll be well prepared for that. So first week of January, man, that's when we start hitting the road. So first week of January, and then, uh, this wasn't brought up, but I am bringing it up is your Airbnbs now mm. and, and managing those. Because uh, are you going to be Airbnb in your house that you're in right now and also continuing to Airbnb those other properties? Because actually, that, that's another question too, because for for your Airbnbs, you guys were self-managing those, correct? Yep. Still do. Yep. Still do. Okay. And then once you guys leave, are you guys going to go with third? I mean, I, I, I'm assuming. <laughs> no, you're not. Nope. Good. Just shaking your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such a dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not dumb. I mean, I, a lot of people out there, I mean, I'm in the real estate space, especially in residential. Mm-hmm. People just want to offload this stuff. You know, they want to rather have a professional do it 
and they'll pay that 18% to make sure that it's done well, right? But um, actually, full disclosure here, Taylor, like Kat and I uh, started a short-term rental management business, and it's called Bookings Confirmed. Shameless plug here. Oh, nice. Um, so we, uh, it actually was formed because I had a client that's purchasing an Airbnb over in the Golden area where the Coors Brewery headquarters is. And, um, you know, really cool small town and like right in the foothills of the mountains. And he was like, hey, I want to Airbnb this place. Check the zoning. Everything's good. Everything's great. Uh, good to go. And um, he was looking for a property manager and he's over in Dallas. He just wants a place over there because he loves Golden to stay during the summer months. He's in Houston and he's like, there's no way I'm spending three months in Houston in summer again. You know, mm. so um, I told him, hey, I know some people that will take good care of you. And I, you know, farmed him out to a couple of my buddies that have short term rental management companies. And um, he didn't click with them. He already had an established relationship with me. And he was like, how do you feel about like managing it? Like, I know it's a little bit more on your plates, but I was wondering if it's at all something that you would consider. I'm like, I would consider it, you know, because I told him that I have a short-term rental myself. We are super hosts there, 4.8 plus stars, all that good stuff, right? Speak your truth. Yeah, 4.8 stars. Yeah, That's right, baby. Yes, you know? Yeah, super host. All right. <laughs> so I was like, dude, um, I would not mind that. I, I feel like this is something that I can lean into. And it's something that Kat and I are now pursuing, uh, co-hosting different properties uh, where, let's say, someone wants to be the owner. They just want someone to manage it for them. And you're looking at an 18% fee on an Airbnb, which is not bad at all, you know? So, uh, which is a lot more than your typical property management at seven to 10%, depending on what kind of asset it is. So yeah, that's kind of what we're doing right now. We're not looking to farm it out or having a third party do it. We're just going to set up our systems and force ourselves to do this management on our short-term rentals remotely. And if we could do that, then we could be anywhere. So that's the plan. And so have you guys been forcing yourself in, in, in this trial period for the past few months then and before y'all leave? Or are you guys leaving and say, hey, we're going to try and figure it out as, as we go? Yeah, totally. Luckily, our cleaners are amazing. And um, we mm -hmm. have fully communicated like, hey, we're not going to be here for the foreseeable future. Um, if we send supplies to your home base, can you bring it over to the house? And then we also have a shed that they have keys and access to all that good stuff. Um, so I am not worried. I will say I'm 99% good. <laughs> I'm never a hundred percent, but um, okay. I mean, if, if a fire happens or I mean, fire metaphorically speaking, um, then we just call up the right people. I mean, like if I, when I was, I mean, I still manage my San Diego property, you know, mm -hmm. and still managing the San Diego property. I'm a thousand miles away. It's not like I'm going to go out there to fix whatever the problem is. I'm going to call up the contractor. I'm going to call up the roofer, the plumber, whoever it might be say, Hey, fix it. Um, and then it's good to go. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to be um, that much of an issue. And I do have friends here now too. So if someone needs to be there in person, then I'll just pay someone their time to go out to the property. Even if it's at a premium, it's for peace of mind on my part. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Have you ever had somebody house hack and Airbnb their homes? Are there rules around that too? Or is that just like a because I, I know each, each state's a little bit different, even just within the local jur jurisdiction as well. 
Yeah, it is a little convoluted here in the greater Denver area. For example, just throwing out some names, I know this probably won't mean anything to you. Let's say Lakewood, there's absolutely no Airbnbs. In the city of Denver, you can operate an Airbnb if it's your primary residence, which is a gray area right there. In Arvada, you can get the short-term rental license and you can operate it as an occupancy for 66% of the year and operate that as a short-term rental, as an investment property. And uh, the place where my short-term rental is, there are no rules and regulations for short-term rentals. So it really does depend on what neighborhood, what city, what town it is. Uh, mm. even what county it is. So, um, I mean, that's kind of what I pride myself in as well. I take notes along the way. And if someone has a question on a certain property, what are the local jurisdictions? What are, what about the legislations? Are things going to change in the near future? Um, and I have a PDF of that and I can send it over to my clients when they are interested in short-term rentals. So uh, it, w- it really does depend on the neighborhood and county. Now, this may be also a dumb question and... I feel like I've just no. Yeah, I guess not all. My Dude, you got smart dumb. questions, man. Thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it, appreciate it. Considering this is my show, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, have you ever considered the difference? Because, because I mean, the the appealing part with Airbnb is the fact that you, know, you can you can cash flow as much as you can fill fill your uh, your your house or whatever your your asset, right? Uh, have you ever did a cost analysis between like, let's say doing a midterm rental or versus like a long-term rental? And, and if I can imagine having just a short-term rental is a little bit more of a headache because there's this constant, just people coming in and coming out. But I'm curious if you just take a, took a look at the other two options uh, and why you weighed in towards Airbnb a little bit more. Like, was it specifically just a profit thing or is it because you just wanted to turn this into more of a business and do it for everybody or a lot of other your, your other clients? Yeah. Good question. Um, Midterm rentals are definitely the talk of the town these days. And I feel like I can easily turn it into a midterm rental because I partnered with a couple of people on this short-term rental. It will have to go through some, I don't want to say red tape, but there's a couple of other hands that needs to pass through. Right. Mm. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily something that I can't convince them of, but it's just extra red tape. Right. So in order for that to happen, it's just something that we need to organize. And everything's already fully furnished with beds, kitchen appliances, pots, pans, towels, linens, whatever it might be. So I don't think it should be that bad. I think also a good benefit to having a short-term rental is knowing what the seasonality is like. That way, that experience that I have with my own short-term rental, I can translate that to whoever asks me what the experience has been for myself right? Like knowing that it might not be as passive as a business that I would like, I can still use that experience as a talking point with a lot of my other clients. And it makes me look like the authority figure in that aspect. However, I'm not going to be against midterm rentals and it's something that I'm still looking into. Um, In the particular area, they're still somewhat close as far as um, occupancy goes after uh, factoring in vacancy expenditures, uh, how much time it takes and all that good stuff. It's somewhat close. I think it's off by $300 per month with my specific location, four bed, two bath, 2000 square feet, all that good stuff. So, um, right now we're maintaining it as an Airbnb. I feel like we can still approve upon it to make it an experience rather than of just a place to live on the midterm rental scale. Mm-hmm. And Tying in that experience, I'm sure correlates then too with just you know higher charging for rents, and then also 
more so than just like having that long-term rental and well and also i guess we well hmm with because there's a loophole that i heard about with short-term rentals where it's like if you have a short-term rental and you're operating what i think a certain number of hours you can also use some of that depreciation then to help offset uh we are i'm not a cpa or an attorney <laughs> but maybe you know a little bit more about it i yes i just know very very little about it where you can use benefit from the depreciation from that yeah and it's a really good point it's something that people just don't understand or realize that they can take full advantage of we took advantage of it last year because we house hacked me and Kat stayed in the basement and operated the main floor with the kitchen, the nicer bedrooms and all that good stuff as an Airbnb. So we went to our CPA, we let him know the whole situation. And because we were self-managing it, I think we were dedicating 720 hours to the property uh, in terms of management and all that good stuff. Uh, we were able to use the tax depreciation, not just to my commissions as a real estate agent, but to Kat's W-2 as well, because she mm. was helping with the management. And like you said, I'm not a CPA. Talk to your CPA about any of this stuff to get full clarification on it. But it is what we took advantage of to save hella money during tax season last year. Now, when it comes to finding clients and, and now I'm kind of like switching gears yep. here and in targeting more, I guess, if somebody is trying to be a realtor with you getting in front of these people and finding your clientele, has, has most of that been so, through just social, social media then? like, Or let's say that they're coming out of state. Are you just like looking up people that have just like recently moved and then just trying to get in <laughs> front of them? Like, What are some of the strategies that you've been using in order to get in front of these types of clientele? To, to yeah. Help yeah, totally. Um, yeah, for those new realtors out there, I'll start with that. Uh, I know you sort of touched on that question because that's a huge consideration for any new real estate agent. Like, where are you getting your leads and how are you setting yourself apart from all the other agents within your town? Right. So, something that I like to tell people that are just becoming a real estate agent with the spark in their eyes and bright eyed and pushy tailed, you know what I mean? Um, when they're in for a rude awakening, kind of like I was, you know, like my sphere wasn't here and I had to start like pretty much from scratch. I had hardly any friends at the same time too. So um, I did not want to be the interrupter. I did not want to be the door knocker where I'm interrupting their dinner or cold calling them saying like, Hey person who has lived here for 20 years, are you planning on selling? No, thanks. Can I have your email? No. All right. See ya. Like, I feel like such a bother, like a sore thumb. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Especially with, I mean, us, I, you're a millennial. Yeah. I mean, I assume you're of that same. You're not that generation. much older than me. You're still young, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Millennial. Yeah. So, I mean, like I'm right there smack dab in the middle of millennials and like, I mean, I myself like to open up the door for people, but there's a lot of millennials out there that won't even pick up the phone, let alone open their door if someone not rings their doorbell. You yeah. know. Mm -hmm. So long story short, that is a strategy for a lot of people that are becoming real estate agents that have teams who are still in the 20th century. I want to attract house hackers who are just out of college, young professionals that might want to maintain that lifestyle in order to make a huge profit with their future house hack. Mm. And so that is the realm that I went down, social media, YouTube, all that good stuff, because my audience is on those platforms. They don't own a home already, so I can't cold, cold call them, right? Or door knock. 
I mean, open houses, people don't want to even go outside for this stuff, you know? So I know with a lot of the buyers of my generation, like millennials, even Gen Zers, they're looking on Zillow first. They're searching on YouTube first. Like, hey, what's the best area for restaurants, walkability and things like that? And I want to be that person that they see first. Mm. So going back to your second question where um, you mentioned something past being a real estate agent, enlighten me if you remember what that question was. That's a great question. (laughs) No, well, I mean, it was, I mean, it was just switching. What was it? I mean, oh yeah. I mean, I guess it, there, there's, uh, yeah, there was multiple parts of the question. Uh, I think it was about like, air, <laughs> I wish I could hear back and just, <laughs> just listen to like live. Uh, well, it was like, how do you get in front of, I guess, clients that are also looking to Airbnb? Was that the question? Uh, yeah. yeah, I remember it was something like that, right? Um, how do I get myself in front of? Oh yeah, it was where do I get my clients from? Oh, and, there you go. Yeah, yeah. that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, it's about 50-50, where like uh, 50-50, where 50% is coming from the team. So Craig Curlop is the founder of the team, the head honcho, the face of the team. And for those of you who do not know him, he's, like I mentioned earlier, the author of The House Hacking Strategy. So a lot of people look at him for advice or as an authority figure, being an author, uh, all things house hacking. And then people go to him to work with a real estate agent that has house hacked before. And that's where I come in. And so, excuse me. Yeah. So that's 50%. The other 50% comes from social media, either through Instagram reels, YouTube, uh, not so much TikTok. I think that's just more for fun for me. Uh, I have a bet with one of my friends. If the first one to get a thousand followers gets 500 bucks. So that's kind of why I still pick and post on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) And what about podcasting? Where's podcasting in there? Yeah, podcasting I'd say is now five percent of leads. <laughs> oh, dang! <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not more. Huh, yeah, interesting. I interesting. I feel like um, well, just to touch on that a little bit more, I feel like I have not given podcasting the love it deserves. I mean, hmm. sure, it it is still a great way for me to make friends, but as far as making leads and having someone look at me like a real estate authority figure, it's not something that I'm pressing as much. I look at it more as a place of, hey, I need a circle of friends and people that uh, would refer me out to people or just introduce me to their friends. And it was more of a social thing more than like a business thing. Mm, so if I did want to push my occupation, um, I feel like I could still do it elegantly without seeming um, forceful, but I'm not going through that and I feel like I could do better on it. Mm, interesting. Well, I appreciate the transparency and vulnerability there. Cause I mean, when I think of podcasting too, maybe, maybe that's not the lead magnet, but maybe that's your, uh, way of sending them resources to check in and hear your voice, whether they're listening in the car or you repurpose that for a blog or repurpose that for any other short form content. Like there's so many snippable clips within just this podcast that you can take. And, uh, you know, we've been speaking for an hour and it's, you know, I mean, you know, well, I guess it's only been 45 minutes. It's going to be speaking for an hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, but... distribution, man. It's, it's a matter of getting people in front of their face. And uh, one statistic that I'd like to bring out there, uh, let's say if you were to work with me, Taylor, as a home buyer looking to purchase their first home, right? The chances of you coming back to me for your second home are like 12%. And a lot of people are astonished by those numbers. Mm. And it's because I'm not doing my job to get in front of your face. 
I need to do a better job with the follow-up as a real estate agent. And there's a lot of real estate agents out there that just don't put in that extra amount of work, like newsletters, weekly YouTube videos, Instagram posts, things like that to get in front of their face. And so if you're not putting that extra effort, you're going to be a part of that 88% where they're not going to use you as their repeat real estate agent. So that is my way to make sure that I get in front of their face and they stay in front of their face for the foreseeable future so that they use me and I'm part of that 12%. Mm, that's, I, I had no idea that was only 12%. And uh, so one thing that I always, always trying to just wrap my head around too, because I actually, I mean, I got my real estate license. I was like cold calling oh, no way. for, yeah, yeah, I don't actually, I don't even know if I told you this, but like I was cold calling like uh, smaller multifamilies and trying to get them to sell for like an agent. And I was just making my calls like what, 150, 200 a day. Absolutely hated it. But the one of the, and and I realized that it really wasn't just the for me, but one of the things that I noticed was how competitive it can be just because there's so many different realtors out there. Did you ever... Have you have you ever encountered somebody that was trying to like like I I wouldn't necessarily say like slam your reputation, but say like oh this your realtor said this I don't know maybe you should think about this and like mm. if you've had that situation how did you recover from that because yeah I mean, everybody likes to talk about real estate and everyone thinks they're an expert at this hundred percent man. Uh, I try to do it with as much grace as possible because I, I don't know if you knew this, but like being a real estate agent is different than being a realtor. So a real estate agent is you just got your license and now you're out on the marketplace to buy and sell homes, right? Realtor has another code of ethics along with it. And uh, of course, they can't really enforce these things until you, let's say you go to trial or something like that. But if something were to happen, um, and you were to go to trial, they hold you to a higher standard, right? I totally so, should have known this. <laughs> but I had to, <laughs> well, I, I I knew there was somewhat of a difference, yeah. but I died I, I no why I didn't really know the main differences, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a realtor. And uh I took a couple extra tests to make that code of ethics um still uh where I abide by those codes codes of ethics, right? So um in terms of slandering and things like that, it's something that like, hey, if this real estate agent knows this market better than I do, mainly because they've just been in this business a lot longer than I have. I give them a reason to be at a higher position than myself, but I know I'm good at house hacking. I know I'm good at the marketing on social media. Mm. I know that if I'm looking for a separate entrance coming from the backyard that leads right into the basement so that my client can live without any neighbors or any roommates on the main floor and have the basement fully occupied. And I know those numbers and I know the income potential and the short-term rental laws and the midterm rental laws and how to market it, find renters. That's what I'm good at. So I will give them whatever positive feedback that they need to feed the ego. But I know, I, I know what I'm good at and I will mm -hmm. keep it at that. I love that. So you just take it more of an internal stance and say like, Hey, I don't really have to prove myself to anybody other than myself. And I know what I'm confident at. And I think that, you know, that is a foundational principle that I think, you know, we should all carry with it, with whatever career that we're going to be doing. And so, you know, we've, we've gone through a number of topics and, and I want to save also some topics for more like specific and granular advice for our action items episode. Uh, but before 
we hop off the show. How can people reach you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, totally. Um, very active on Instagram and YouTube. Those are my platforms of choices. Um, platforms of choice. Uh, YouTube, it's moving to Denver, Colorado with Ian Jimeno. If you just search Ian Jimeno, I-A-N-J-I-M as in Mike, E-N-O, it'll, looks like it'll be in the description as well. Taylor it's going to be in the description. Yep. Wonderful. It'll be in the that's, show notes. <laughs> sweet. Um, that's my YouTube on Instagram. It's Ian.RealEstateAgent. Um, and that's all for you. That's the best way to reach out to me. Hell yeah. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, Ian. I appreciate it. And I know our audience appreciates it. Can't wait for the action items episode coming out in a few days. So thank you, everyone. Thanks, Ian. Signing off. Thank you, Taylor. Appreciate it, man. Of course, man. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Taylor Coup Podcast. If you gain any value out of this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you share this with your friends. Hopefully they can get the same value as well as you did. And also leave a comment or review on whatever podcasting platform that you're listening on. I appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me and I'll see you at the next episode.